everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Welcome to America's Town Hall. Today is Tuesday, May 4th. And I have an awesome friend on the show with me today. Michael Donnelly is on the show. This is his first time here at the show. He is an attorney with the HSLDA organization. You guys know I'm a fan, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And he serves in seven states as the director of global outreach and coordinates their support of homeschool freedom around the world. I had a chance recently to uh, have dinner, me and my husband and Michael have dinner, and we got to talking about the election. We got to talking about the Constitution. And I was like, dude, this is so good. Would you come on the show? And he has graciously agreed to do that. And we're going to have a conversation you guys are really going to enjoy. Hey, my friend, Mike, welcome to the show. Heidi, it's great to chat with you again. It wasn't long ago we were chatting in person, and I look forward to being able to do that again. And I'm looking forward to talking with you about the Constitution, one of my favorite subjects. And I'm really privileged to have been able to teach Patrick Henry College students the Constitution for about 14 years now. Uh, And so I've had the opportunity to really dig into it. So I'm excited to share with you today. Wow. Well, we've, we are living, I mean, this is one of the things that, you know, we talked about a lot over dinner and it's very concerning to me. And I know a lot of people listening to this today. One of the reasons why I'm running for Congress is because we are watching a radical administration now, the Biden administration, who really doesn't care at all about the constitution, everything from the second amendment to now the fourth amendment. I was telling you a moment ago that a headline I saw come out today said that the Biden administration is concerned considering using private firms to conduct warrantless surveillance of U.S. citizens. How upsetting should we, uh, how upsetting is that to someone who knows the Constitution? Well, to hear the federal government say warrantless searches, uh, that should be an oxymoron. There should be no such thing as a warrantless search since the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which all the way back from 1789 was intended to apply to the federal government primarily. Of course, today, and hopefully we can talk about this, the Fourth Amendment has been applied to the states as well. And people might wonder about that. There might be people wondering what the Fourth Amendment at one time didn't apply to the states. Uh, Maybe Mm. we can explore that a little bit. But the Fourth Amendment does apply to the U.S. federal government. and, And no federal government should be talking about warrantless searches at all, ever. No. No. I mean, the Fourth the Fourth Amendment really says that the right of the people to be secure in their own person, right? Our houses, our papers. This means that they can't come in and start surveilling us without uh, without a warrant, correct? Well, right. They, you know, we are to be secure in our persons, places, you know, homes. Um, and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause, right? So you can't just surveil people without any reason. You need to have a warrant. And you need to have probable cause in order to get a warrant, uh, you know. But we've been talking about this for decades now, right? Ever since the Patriot mm-hmm. Act and um, since nine eleven. And there's this, you know, people want to talk about this trade off between, you know, freedom and security. And here we are again. Uh, I don't know. I didn't see this headline. I didn't read this article. But uh, and of course, headlines can say one thing, and the article can say right. something entirely different. Right. So I want to be a little <laughs> careful. But it's it, you know that's CNN's headline. Uh, who mm-hmm. knows what actually was said? In fact, you know if it's CNN, we should be very dubious, just yes. in general. Um, yes, so, I so agree. I'm interested to read that article. But still, it's a relevant issue. And if they want to tee it up for us like that, 
you know, we, we need to talk about the Constitution. You know, the reason I think that we're here today in this state of, of dire uh, concern for our republic is because our fellow citizens um, are not properly educated about our Constitution, about our history. Uh, and that's something that I really think we need to do some work on. So I really appreciate you inviting me to talk about the Constitution here today. Well, the Constitution really tells us what the role of government is, right? So we understand what's our role and what's the role of government. When you're talking to students and actually even just homeschooling parents, because I know you've been out on, like I am, out on the homeschool circuit, one of the questions that's coming up over and over again is what is the role of government? You know, we heard Joe Biden, whether it was a Freudian slip or not, said, you know, we the people are the government. I was sitting right there when he said that about fall off my chair. I was like, oh, my goodness. Now, Jay said he surely could not have meant that. But the fact of the matter is he said it. And it seems to me like in many respects, this is what the Democrat Party believes. But when you're explaining the role of government to uh, students in particular and to people who are listening to this today who are, you know, we're a little fuzzy headed about it now because it's been so diluted. What is uh, according to our founding fathers, what is the role of government? Well, well, that's a great question. And when our founders got together um, after struggling through the Articles of Confederation following the War for Independence, uh, and they got together in Philadelphia in 1787 and came up with a constitution, they realized that they wanted there was a tension. They said, we need a stronger national government, but we have to make sure we preserve the role of the states because the states were sovereign entities and still are sovereign entities. You know, we have a structure of government, and that's what the word constitution means. It means structure. Um, And the constitution set forth the structure of government. There were some principles that underlaid what our founders were trying to do, but the constitution lays out in, what, six, seven articles, seven articles, um, and it's only just about 4,000 words, so it's not hard to read. People really need to read it. And the, <laughs> the reason we have so many problems here, you know, is that people, including our co- members of Congress, are not reading the Constitution and they're doing stuff, you know, like We the People Act and, you know, all these other yes. things they want to do, which are completely unconstitutional. They're just ignoring the Constitution. Um, and We the People, we're the ones who have to hold them accountable. And no, the government is not We the People. We, the government works for We the People. Hello. It operates with our consent, although it's not operating with my consent much these days, which kind of mm-hmm. goes to the whole problem where we're, you know, we have in our country where government has become very much its own institution, very non-responsive to the people, very political, and you've got, you know, parties, you've got the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, and all they really want is power so that they can run the show and, you know, they want to funnel the money to those they want to funnel the money to. They want to make the rules because they think they know best. And here I'm talking about the Democrats because they're the ones who think they know how to run everybody's life. But the Constitution's a structure. um, And we have Article 1, 2, and 3 primarily. And Article 1 sets out the legislative authority. And you know what it says? It's interesting, Heidi. Article 1, there's this really interesting word at the beginning of Article 1 of the Constitution. It's the word all. Article 1, Section 1, all, all legislative power, right? And so we wonder, you know, we look at our our government today, and is the legislative power uh, restrained to Congress, Article 1? Or do we see other elements of our government, like the executive branch with his executive orders and the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court with their, you know, ridiculous opinions striking down state laws and state constitutional amendments? Again, let's talk about that. You know, wielding legislative authority. You know, the, you know, then there's the federal government versus the state government. 
is the federal government staying within its boundaries as articulated by the Constitution? I don't think it is. Nope. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if H.R. 1 passes, uh, we're looking at federalizing our elections, right? I mean, I, I think it's mm-hmm. interesting the way that they have hijacked the language now. And so you can pretty much depend on it. If they if the bill is called for the people, you can almost count on the fact that it will not be for the people. H.R. 5, what the Equality Act, you can almost bank on the fact that it's nothing to do with equality, right? Everything to do with equity. But this is the hijacking of the language. And I kind of think in some respects, this is how they're skirting around their constitutional obligations. Well, you know, let's talk about election integrity. It's something that um, I've been a little bit involved with and I've been doing some work on. And uh, it's really, it is pretty frightening uh, what we saw in the last election. Um, You know, look, let's be clear about this. Uh, It was a contested election. Um, In the final tally, when you go to the Congress on January 6th, there is a constitutional requirement for Congress to meet. There is a law, a federal law, it's 3 USC. And people who are interested in this ought to go and read 3 USC because I think 3 USC has unconstitutional components within it. But let's let's just talk about it. Um, They met, they voted according to the law and according to the constitution and like it or not, Biden was constitutionally appointed. Um, I won't use the word elected, although you could say he was. Um, And there's some problems with the way that happened, some very serious problems. When you go back and you look at what happened in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, um, in uh, in Georgia, uh, four of the key ones, also Arizona. But I I look mostly at at Michigan and Pennsylvania really as the key ones. And and there are uh, elements within the Democrat Party, and, and maybe it's even the entire party or the party leadership, that see an opportunity. They see an opportunity here to preserve Democrat power for a long time if they can pass their We the People Act, which they call, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, well, the We the People Act. And I've been looking around a little bit and looking at some of the uh, organizations that um, support the Democrat Party voting issues, okay, like some of their think tanks. And I came across this one called the Brennan Center. And, and they seem like they're fairly reputable as, you know, as far as the Democrats are concerned and, you know, like mainstream Democrat. And I was looking at some of the words that they use. And, you know, you talked about language before, and they talk about these efforts that are happening in the states. And there are about 361 bills that have been filed in the states to try to secure the elections, to try to make them uh, stronger to make sure that every legal vote counts. But when you look at how the Democrats and the left and the progressives talk about this stuff, they call these bills voter suppression efforts. <laughs> they mm. say that these are laws that are attempting to disrupt election administration that will burden voters, right? They talk about what we talk about, the controversial le- election. They talk about the big lie, they talk about the big lie that there was no widespread voter fraud or voter irregularity. Well, yeah, no, there was, guys. Hello, the facts are right there in front of Hello. our face. We can look yeah, at yeah. what happened in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin, and we know that election officials in those states, they did not follow the law. And so if you don't follow the law, what kind of, <laughs> what kind of election do you have? You have a lawless election. And yep, that's what we yep. had in some places in this country. 
Right. And this is kind of this goes to the root of a democracy versus a republic. Right. Because a democracy is really ruled by mob rule. And in many cases, that's what we've got right now. We have strayed away from I was talking to Mike Ferris about this that he said it so, so wisely. He said, I'm not only tired of Republican in name only. Right. The rhinos. I'm tired of being a republic in name only. We are a nation of laws. And when we uh, when we move away from those, there needs to be consequences. So can't so we talked about this the other day and I, I'd like to lay it out for people because there are a lot of people right now who are listening to this going, well, I don't understand. Why can't we, we, you know, we can see there was massive voter irregularities, right? But the, but the elections were certified anyways by the secretary of state and this went ahead and, and then we went to a constitutionally uh, elect, I guess, uh, Biden to the highest office in our land. What can be done about that? So let's say that, that they, they continue like what they're doing in Arizona right now. And they begin to really go, oh, wow, look at that, 250,000 ballots that appear to be fraudulent in nature. Let's just, um, hy- you know, hypothesize that you you flip that election result. It doesn't change the election of Joe Biden, correct? That's correct. It does not change the election of Joe Biden because Joe Biden was elected or appointed, I prefer to say. Um, yes. <laughs> as, <laughs> as president. Um, and, and uh, you know, constitutionally, in accordance with the Constitution and the law, okay, the culprits here, if people are concerned about who to blame, and there's lots of blame to go around, yes. I, I tend to blame the Republican legislators, primarily yep. in Pennsylvania and Michigan, but also Wisconsin to a degree and Georgia. Georgia. Um, but, but Michigan and, well, Michigan and Pennsylvania, you know, they had, um, they had massive things happening in Philadelphia and Detroit. Um, And, you know, but at any rate, um, you're right. We can't go back. We can only look forward. So what can be done? Uh, What what happened, what's been happening recently in the States, um, and in Georgia is an example of this, and you've seen it in the news because the Democrats tried to racialize. They're trying to racialize, well, they try to racialize everything, but they're Mm -hmm. using uh, the Georgia voter law uh, and trying to, intimidate other state legislatures that are looking at uh, creating more security and more integrity in the election system by trying to, um, you know, uh, basically uh, threaten them with being called racists if they support um, election integrity. They're trying to equate the term election integrity with Jim Crow. They're saying, oh, right. these are the relics. Here's, an, here's some of the other language that, that they use. They talk about the relics of Jim Crow. Okay, that's what they, they use, the, the, that language, uh, which by that they mean anyone who opposes, uh, you know, voting security is a racist or who cares to make sure that only legal votes are counted uh, and that it's done in, a, in accordance with the law. As you pointed out, we're a nation of laws. We are a republic, not a democracy. But the left and the Democrats, they are all about democracy. When you look at this Brennan Center, um, they're all for the National Vote Compact. The National Vote Compact is this idea that we we should um, get rid of the Electoral College. Well, that's not what the National Vote Compact is. National Vote Compact is a uh, an agreement among states that they would they would cast their electoral ballots for the popular vote winner. The attempt here is to make sure that the president who gets the most popular votes actually wins the election, which six times in our history hasn't happened. And there's nothing wrong with that. They don't like that, though. They want that popular vote because they think that that favors them. 
Um, but we're in a republic, and that's why we have the Electoral College to make sure that the president, the federal government, which is you know a, a creature of the states or supposed to be, at least that's how it was intended to be originally, would be elected by the states as states, not popularly. Okay, uh, and so uh, you know that's what they talk about. So they try important? to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are people but, listening to this right now. They're going, who cares? Electoral college. It absolutely matters. Why does the electoral college matter? And then I want to back up well, because we talked sure. for just a minute about Jim Crow laws. There are a lot of people yeah. listening who are like, we keep hearing this on the news. What the heck is a Jim Crow law? So I want to, right. I, I'd like to, those two things I for sure want to talk about, but really sure. quickly, what is the electoral college and why does it matter that we protect it? Well, the Electoral College means that uh, every state gets the number of votes in the Electoral College as it has representatives in the uh, Congress, both Senate and and House. So, for example, uh, California has like 50 something uh, and New Hampshire has four. Okay, that's it's not directly related to their population, although it is connected to population because the number of Congress people who are in the House from a state is is related to the uh, population, but not the Senate. So every every state. Wyoming has three, right? Two senators, one congressperson. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And so, you, so, that's, so, it, so it's an attempt to recognize that, yeah, there's a, there's a component of electing a president that is connected to the popular vote, but it's also connected to this idea that we're a republic and that they're states. And the Constitution also gives, uh, in Article I, sole authority to the state legislatures to decide how the electors are to be selected. And that goes right back to the point I made before about how in these states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin, Georgia, the, uh, the, the executive branch officials did not follow the law. Okay, They ignored the law and they changed the law. And that was what made the elections in those states unconstitutional. Okay, So the Electoral College... Is 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 how we select our president and vice president. Doesn't it's not how we select our Congress people. It's not how we select senators. It's just the president and vice president. And each state gets a certain number of electors based on the number of representatives they have. And there's a process laid out in the Constitution and in federal law for when those electors are to be selected and and how the certificates are sent to the archives and how they're counted. It's all laid out in three USC. That's the federal code passed back in 18, I think, 87, that details how you do the presidential election, what happens if there are objections. And this is part of why I think that law has some unconstitutional issues. Let me just explain it for one thing. So in 3 U.S.C. 15, which lays out the count, how you go through and do the counting, right, there were there were going to be objections to some of these um States, right? And then, of course, you know, people decided they were going to go into the Capitol building, disrupted everything, and it kind of threw things off. Um, but, you know, other, some of the senators like Cruz and others were going to make objections. Okay. But here's the thing the way it works, um, if there's an objection made, and, and they can be made, um, the House and the Senate would then go off and debate. And if they, and then they come back, and if they agree on the objection, then they could ignore the electoral votes basically from the state. But if they don't agree, and here's the unconstitutional problem, then they would have to defer to the certificate that was sent from the executive agency in the state. And that's why I think that's unconstitutional because what that law should say is it should defer to the uh, legislature in the state. 
because the con- our constitution, the U.S. Constitution, gives the state legislatures the authority, the sole authority to you know decide how they're going to be appointed. And so in this case, as we said, you know, Michigan and, and Pennsylvania and the other ones, they ignored the laws. And so that would have given the opportunity for the for the House and Senate together to have said, well, hang on a second here. Maybe we need to look at this a little bit more in detail. And the law didn't allow them to do that. Wow. So so really, I mean, I, I can tell because there's a lot of parents that are listening to this right now and their heads are exploding. They're like, oh, my goodness, we feel like we feel like we fall so far down the rabbit hole. And there are a lot of people who feel disenfranchised now and feel like, why should we even keep voting? Why is it you know, why? Why does it even matter? They've got all these little shenanigans that they're pulling and all these little, you know, well, if this, then this. And if this, then that, you know, it's like a wussy wig editor for the Constitution, you know, <laughs> and that's really why we need to defend it. It's why we need people in the House of Representatives uh, to and in the Senate to defend the Constitution. Instead, you got people like uh, Joe Biden and all of his guys right now saying that, hey, you know, we we need um, H.R. 1. Right. We need to to change the way we do our elections, because after all, we're holding back the black people. This is Jim Crow all over again. So why is this not like that? First, people need to understand what Jim Crow laws are, because it's not just one law. Right. They call them they're uh, a type of law. Right. And it's my understanding. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. I'm not an attorney, as you well know. But I I'm under the under the impression that a Jim Crow law was a law that enforced racial segregation. Right. Um, Is that that's basically right. That's right. These these were the black codes in the South after the slaves were freed following the Civil War and during the Civil War. um, The southern states passed laws which inhibited the um, made it more difficult for the blacks to do certain things such as hold property vote, mm-hmm. uh, have access to the courts. Um, right. and, and these became known as Jim Crow laws. And I honestly don't know where the term Jim Crow came from. I, I can sit, I talk about these things as the black codes. Right. Um, and okay. so, so, so the, so there definitely were efforts to, to suppress and disenfranchise Sup- and say, se- and segregate the freed slaves. Absolutely. Black people. Yep. And that's wrong. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, you know, slavery is a, uh, you know, it's an institution that was existing in our country, uh, when our country was founded, and it was a terrible institution, um, you know, and, and people want to, and, and people on the left, the you know, the, the Black Lives Matter and the the left Democrats, they want to undermine our constitution and our founding by trying to say, oh, you know, well, you rec- you've got slavery in the constitution, you recognize slavery in the constitution, that means we got to throw the whole thing out, and they're talking right. about the three fifths clause, right, which was how they would count up. Um, you know, the number of people for the purposes of apportioning representatives. I mean, they want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I mean, that's just a dumb idea. Okay. The mm-hmm. Declaration of Independence is all men are created equal, uh, endowed by the creator with an unalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Right. And Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin, John Adams who were involved in drafting that. They meant everybody. Uh, and it was mm-hmm. aspirational. And, and the Constitution came you know, what, 15 years or so after the signing, 17 years after the signing of the Declaration. Um, and it was a political comprom- compromise. You know, we could have, we could have, I suppose, stayed as two separate nations. We could have had the Confederate States for back then. Uh, but they decided, you know what, we're, we're going to prohibit um, importation and, you know, restrain the federal government from passing any laws for 20 years. And then hopefully the federal government and the states will get over this slavery. And, and it, they didn't, unfortunately. Um, and it resulted in a civil war and the death of 1.2 million Americans. And um, it's, it's, it was 
pro- very problematic and terrible. Um, and it's and it's uh, an echo that we're still dealing with today. Obviously, when these people use these terminologies of Jim Crow and black codes, trying to say that um, having election integrity is racist. Okay, that's not right. that is not what is going on here. Uh, there are yep. many many uh, people of color who support uh, election integrity, and and I frankly I find it offensive and demeaning and revisionist. Uh, that people would try to cast um, our attempts to, you know, have election integrity and security as racist. It's outrageous. It totally undermines and demeans what actually did happen back in 1860s and and before that, and even after that to a degree. So it's just wrong. And it's why we need to tell the truth about it. I hope you guys are enjoying my interview with my friend, Mike Donnelly. Mike is an attorney with the Homeschool Legal Defense Association and a constitutional law professor and has been a friend of mine for a long, long time. And as we uh, had dinner the other day uh, together after a conference, my husband and I were talking to him about the danger that we're seeing in our country, particularly as it relates to election integrity. So we're going to come back on Thursday and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. I hope you guys will share this podcast. We are working to get uh, guests on here who can start talking about the things that we are talking about as citizens and as uh, people who love this country and love this republic and want to preserve and defend it. So I hope this is exciting for you guys as it is for us as we have launched America's Town Hall. Again, if you're brand new to this show, uh, you can also find me at Off the Bench with Heidi St. John. That airs five days a week on the same platform. I will link to it in the show notes today. You guys can support my run for Congress at HeidiStJohnForCongress.com. There are lots of places where you can get involved there. You can join the prayer team. You can absolutely donate to us. We need your financial support. There are so many things happening right now in the country uh, that are very, very uh, devastating in their nature and will be will absolutely turn this country on its head. And I hope you guys will help me as I run for a seat at the table of the federal government. We must, every single one of us, do our part. And so even if you're listening to this and I'm not from your district, I'm running to represent Washington State's third congressional. Remember, these are federal seats. They are a seat around the table. And we need to send men and women to uh, the positions of authority in this land who will represent us both morally and fiscally as we defend the Constitution and the Republic that's been handed down to us from generations long ago. So I hope you guys will join me in the fight for the soul of America. Again, you can find out more at HeidiStJohnForCongress.com. Thanks for listening to everybody, and I will see you back here on Thursday for part two of my interview with my friend, Mike Donnelly.